So, um, well, it's good to see so many people here on a summer morning, but I suppose there's nowhere else to go on a Sunday when the weather's like that. Sure, there's not. You might as well come to church. But hopefully you've been... <laughs> you love it here. Um, hopefully you've been around for some of our um, Living Tent series. Um, and if not, hopefully you've been able to get the opportunity to catch up on the podcast. But we have been looking at how God gave Moses really specific instructions as to how to build the tabernacle which is where God's presence came to dwell with the Israelites in the wilderness, okay? And we have been learning that the tabernacle acted um, almost like a portable Eden, that it restored some of what had been lost between God and Adam and Eve right back at the beginning, that it was God's way of moving back towards humanity when sin had got in the way. That it was his way of trying to restore that relationship again that had existed between him and Adam and Eve. And we've kind of been circling around this verse in Hebrews 5 that says, They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so we know that the tabernacle was a reflection as well of the person of Jesus and how he ministered and how he patterned his own life. And, um, and because Moses followed the pattern, the very specific instructions that God gave him, then God showed up. God was able to come and be among them. And Jesus, who was the embodiment of this pattern, I'm saying pattern a lot, and someone commented on saying pattern properly, not pattern, but pattern. So I'm very conscious about pattern. So Jesus, who was the embodiment of the pattern of the tabernacle, he shows us who God really is and how we can then also ourselves be living tense people who are filled with the presence of God. And then we've started to look at some of the furniture um, that existed within the tabernacle and within the three different boundaries of the tabernacle. And we have touched on the fact that, again, each piece of furniture, we've only looked at one so far, we'll look at another one today, but each piece of furniture reflects Jesus because he actually came to fulfill this whole old sacrificial um, system of the Old Testament. But the amazing thing is, is that we get to be part of it, okay? We get to be part of it too because we are living stones who are being built together um, to become a holy temple with Jesus as the cornerstone, okay? So that's kind of like the last sort of couple couple of weeks in a nutshell and then we get to Trevor's from last week. He told us about the bronze altar um, and how um, everybody who was entering into the um, to the tabernacle had to come um, face to face with the altar, okay? They had to, to encounter it because the only way to get to God was through sacrifice and of course we know that. We know that that's what Jesus did. The sacrifice Trevor taught us last week leads to, and points to our own need for consecration which actually sets us up really beautifully for this morning, Trevor, so thanks for that. And uh, and then after the, the altar, we get to this morning's piece, which is the laver, which you can see. So the altar is the first piece there, but just in behind it is the laver, okay? And so as we're looking at the laver this morning, I would really encourage you to keep in mind that sacrifice was essential, okay? It was really, it was necessary. It was the first thing that had to be done, but the altar and the laver actually functioned together, okay? So let's keep that in mind as we look a little bit more at the labor this morning. So these are the verses that we're going to look at about that. It's from Exodus 30. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand for washing. 
place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord or they will die. It's nice and light and breezy, isn't it? They must always wash their hands and feet or they will die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. Okay, then it tells us in Exodus 38 what the first neighbor was to actually be made of. So it tells us that they made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent. So God told Moses to place the laver between the altar and the door to the holy place. And the priests were to wash their hands and their feet with water from the laver for two um, main sort of purposes or two main reasons. And the first one was um, they had to wash their hands and feet before they approached the holy place. Okay. And the second one was that they had to wash their hands and feet um, before they approached the altar where the sacrifice took place. And this is what God says about the labor at this point in the Bible until really you get to Solomon's temple. This is kind of it in a nutshell, right? And so practically speaking, a labor is actually a really handy thing to have in the tabernacle because sacrifice is a very messy business. And if anybody's a vegan here this morning, I'm really sorry about this. It probably really offends you deeply. But... Um, <laughs> Sacrifice on animals was going to be quite messy, okay? They had to drain the blood. Um, they had to cut it up. It was going to leave them um, unclean. Um, but <laughs> the priests needed somewhere to clean up. And whilst there is an element of practicality about the labor, as you know, when God tells someone to do something, there's usually always so much more um, in meaning about that. You see, the priests in Aaron's family and those who would follow on in the generation, the lineage um, after him, they were being called to a life of purpose, a life that was surrendered to serving at the tabernacle. But as they served, they were also being called to a life of purity, Okay, they had th this responsibility, this job of sacrificing on behalf of the sin of the whole nation, which was going to be a constant reminder for them of the gulf that existed between God and his people. And that was that was what we call that is sin. But even in the act of sacrifice, the labor existed to, I suspect, teach them that God would, would make a way to remove that stain of sin from the lives of his children and restore the closeness of that relationship, which is always his heart. He's always moving towards his people. And so as we look at the labor, there's a few things. I managed to get peas. It's not really like, I, I feel like I'm a proper preacher because I've got, you know, all, all my points as peas. I did use um, Google Thesaurus quite a lot, just as we, uh, <laughs> but go with me, okay? There's got some quite tenuous links. But the first thing I noticed about it was quite an obvious one is the position of the labor, okay? So if you can picture the scene, this outer court, the general public are actually allowed in there, okay? And um, they were able to see what happened at the altar and what happened at the lever. They could see where they stood. They could witness for themselves that what sacrifice and then cleansing would look like. And they saw it actually. It was for, it was on behalf of the whole nation that it re was representative for everybody. But I think that it's significant that the bronze lever was the last object to be encountered before the priests could enter the holy place. 
before entering the presence of this almighty, holy God, both sacrifice and cleansing had to take place. When their hands and feet were covered with blood, um, as they were going to be, it was a messy business, business, they had to remove it at the lever. Now, that means something, okay? Before a priest could go into the holy place, before they could get closer to the Lord, before they could enter his presence, they needed the blood, but they also needed the water. Now, what came out of Jesus' side when he was on the cross? Blood and water. They needed atonement from sin, but they also needed cleansing that was going to keep happening. They needed to be covered, but they also needed to be clean. And anyone who was there in that outer court, they got to see that actually play out. If they were a visual learner, it was like right up their street. It was really useful for that. The sin and the uncleanliness were dealt with at the altar and the lever before they could enter into a place where they could really worship the Lord, the holy place, which contained, um, as you'll, you'll see in the next couple of weeks, other items like the showbread and um, the lampstand, different things like that. But the altar and the lever, they're inextricably linked. One can't really function without the other. And in church, we use these fancy words, okay? Um, and and it's, it's justification. So lots of you will know what that means, but some of you mightn't. But in the Greek, justification, it, it's to be made righteous, okay? It's where the stuff that gets in the way of getting close to God gets taken away and we get Jesus' righteousness put on us, all right? And the altar represents that. What happens at the altar gives us Jesus' righteousness, okay? That's, it's a type and shadow of that. But then at the lever, we use this fancy word in church called sanctification, and it just means that we're being made holy over and over and over again, that God is in the business of cleaning us up. And that happens at the lever. But you know what's wonderful? We don't need these items anymore because Jesus does that for us. That's what Jesus does for us. We get his justification, but the Holy Spirit also comes and works in us to bring about sanctification, to make us holy, to clean us up. And just like God gave Moses the pattern to make a way to himself, Jesus became the embodiment of these items in the tabernacle. He is the sacrifice. He is the cleansing that draws us closer to God's presence. So the position of the labor is really, really important. But the next thing is the possessions that were used to make the labor. Now, this multitude of people were wandering around in the wilderness, and you might be thinking, well, like, where did they get bronze mirrors? Well, if you remember right back to the beginning of their story, they have been held in captivity in Egypt. And when their time of deliverance came, Exodus 12 tells us that the Egyptians basically loaded them up with gold and silver and clothing and bronze mirrors as they left Egypt. And so I think it's actually quite reasonable to say that these highly polished bronze mirrors were in some ways a symbol of their past. They were a symbol of their captivity. As they carried it around, they couldn't help but remember that they got it from Egypt. And now they carried these reminders of their captivity with them in the wilderness. And in one way, because of what it was, they couldn't really move 
on. They couldn't really move on from what had happened in Egypt because they kept carrying these symbols of their past with them. But what is really beautiful about the fact that these were used to make the labor is that when they were offered to the Lord, they became something that he could use to help restore a little bit of what was lost in Eden. God redeemed their captivity. God redeemed their pain. He, he was in the business of healing what had gone before, what had once served to remind them when they looked in it of their past, of their pain, perhaps of some of the wounds and scars of their time in slavery, all of the dregs that come with that, all of their mindsets about being in the land of not enough, if you remember our series on that, they have been refashioned by the Lord to create something that would symbolize the cleanse and power of what he wanted to do in their lives and how he wanted to change them. And I imagine as the priests washed their hands and feet, they caught glimpses of themselves, even in the reflection of the water and the laver. They were able to see the mess of the sacrifice. And before their very eyes, they saw their hands and their feet cleaned of the stains. They saw themselves transformed, cleaned up, made acceptable before they could then approach the Lord in the holy place. And I've had a hunch um, over the past couple of weeks as I've been prepping for this morning that there are people here who, who God wants you to offer him those parts of your heart that cause you to keep looking back on pain and on times of, um, let's face it, abuse is what, what, what they went through at that time. We can become used to seeing ourselves through the lens of our past, defined almost even by our wounds, limited by false identities that have been placed upon us by others. But you know what? Like, let's be real about this. Sometimes we actually find a wee bit of comfort in holding on to false identities ourselves. It just feels good, doesn't it? But the desire of the heart of the Lord, I believe, is to take those things which encourage us to keep looking back, to keep living in the past, and that keep reminding us that we aren't enough. But I think he just wants to take them, and I think he wants to repurpose them. I think he wants to change them. He longs to change their original function into something that's going to actually bring cleansing and healing and indeed freedom in their lives and in our lives. You see, earlier in Exodus 35, it tells us after Moses had explained to the crowd what was going to happen in the process of the tabernacle being constructed. I love this. It says, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You know, at times when God has stirred your heart and when he has moved your spirit to actually do something for you, this is what happened. And often those things that we place value or identity in are the very things that can actually distract and inhibit the work of God in our lives. All the stuff that represented their heritage, their time in Egypt, the cultural nuances of all that playing out, their identity and pain and suffering was being repurposed by the Lord to create something of what existed back in the Garden of Eden in their midst. It was actually like a miraculous kind of provision for the purpose of merciful presence, God being with them. And this is what Jesus does for us. 
when we give him what we have. There was an element of cost, of course, in, uh, for the Israelites when they gave those items away. They probably saw these as like their retirement plan. You know, we've got this really costly thing. I could flog it at some point and that'll feed us for a wee while. But in the mercy, you know, of the divine exchange that happens when we give Jesus permission to take what we have, to clean us up, when we give him our sin and our pain, he gives us this beautiful gift of sanctification. He changes who we are from the inside and it comes out just to make us more like him. But our willingness, and here's a word that I think needs redeemed, our willingness to repent is really key in this. It's a, I have to be honest and say sometimes that word repent triggers me a wee bit because I think it has been used incorrectly by the church and especially in our own land, you know, um, because if you don't repent, you're going to burn and all that sort of stuff, okay? Um, and um, I think God wants to redeem that word because really what it means is we're recognizing where we're at. We're recognizing we need God to come into that space and we're moving back towards him. That's what repenting means. Okay, And I think that there's something really important about our willingness to sort of be honest about that and to repent, to move back towards God. Um, that's really key to cleansing happening because it's what happens at the altar. It's the trigger that opens up the flow of his grace and his forgiveness towards us, which brings this kind of labor type of cleansing that we're talking about this morning. And when we let that seep in, it changes everything. God always makes a way when we surrender where we are at towards him. So we have the position of the labor, and that represents the cleansing that needs to happen. We have our possessions when we give God every part of us, okay? And then we get to this one. It's a little bit tenuous, but go with me, okay? A lack of particular parameters for the labor, <laughs> Which basically just means it's, it's very vague, okay? But V didn't fit. Do you like my Lego labor? Now, I didn't build it, but I got very excited because actually there's somebody has built a whole tabernacle out of Lego. And when I brought our boys down, it was like Christmas morning, you know, it was very exciting. So all of the other items in the tabernacle had really specific <laughs> dimensions and patterns and shapes. God was actually really detailed about everything else in the tabernacle, except for the lever, which is handy when you're doing a sermon. And this one piece of furniture had no other detail about it other than it had to be made of bronze. And its base had to be made of bronze. It had to be able to hold water. And then where it was to be set up, where it was to be positioned. So that then, to me, poses the question, well, why does the lever not actually have a lot of detail about it because everything else is very specific from the fabric and the color and the embroidery and the dimensions and all this kind of stuff. It's got to be important, I think, that there's not actually that much detail about it. Well, I think you can come at this from two different angles. And the first one is, I think God was given the opportunity to the craftsmen who were involved in making it to use their own initiative when it came to making the labor. They had to work it out for themselves. They had to figure out, well, how how can people's hands and feet be cleaned in this thing? Now, I wouldn't fancy getting my feet up into the labor. They probably had something to scoop the water out, but they had to work out how it was best going to function. How could they actually transport the thing around if it was too bulky? Really, how were they going to be able to do that? They had to show creativity. They had to show enterprise. God, I think, was inviting them to join with him in the process of making something that would bring cleansing, okay? But that's not all. 
I think the other side of it is that having no dimensions was actually an awful lot to do with what it actually represented, and that is cleansing. You see, I think um, for each of us individually, our cleansing looks differently. Before you throw me out for being a heretic, please just come with me on the rest of this paragraph, right? Cleansing or sanctification in principle and biblically is the same process for every human, but how the Holy Spirit brings this about in each one of our own individual lives is often a very unique thing. My inkling is that God didn't give Moses any particular specific parameters about the labor because sanctification plays out really differently for each of us as individuals because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And God can use a verse or a song that will just bring me to my knees, that will just rip my heart open, okay, and will leave me undone in his presence that you could pick up or that you could listen to and it will mean absolutely nothing to you on that given day. But for me, where I'm at as an individual, it means something really significant. The stuff that God brings to the attention in my life can be very different to what he brings to attention in yours because we're all on our own path of sanctification with the Lord. And so I reckon that this is the Lord's way of saying that there's no fast track, that there's no like one size fits all kind of formula to cleanse in the spirit. It, it requires us doing our part like the craftsmen did when it came to the construction of the labor. We need to show initiative. We need to take responsibility. We love that word, don't we? We need to take responsibility. But we also need to be aware of the fact that God might have used something to speak to us at one point in our lives and he uses something completely different. And we have to have soft hearts and be open about that, okay? To me, the labor in this sense is a type and shadow of the beauty of being born in the spirit. When we do our part, God's able to do the cleansing. But we can't get too formulaic about it because that's just when it gets a wee bit religious and empty. And, and it just becomes like a motion that we have to go through other than a genuine work of the Spirit in our lives. But what's really striking about this, and I kind of touched on it when we were reading the whole passage there was, and you can't really sugarcoat this, but the priest said, or sorry, it says if the priests didn't cleanse at the lever, they were going to die. I can't really um, get around that other than that's what it says. And, but I can tell you because I've seen it. I've seen it sometimes in my own life, but I've seen it and I've been doing this long enough. Like I've been seeing it in the, in the lives of the people around me. If we don't engage in the process of sanctification, if we don't allow the spirit to cleanse us, our relationship with Jesus shrivels up and it can die. And the anointing on our ministry will do so as well. And let's not, like, I'm saying this publicly, I don't ever want to be in a place where I don't feel like I'm sanctified. I don't want my relationship with Jesus to shrivel up and die. And I don't want what we do as a church here to shrivel up and die. And that's why we all as one collective body really need to get real about the sanctification thing. If we have a desire in our hearts to continue in the pursuit of the heart of the Father, we've got to face ourselves. We've got to be measured and open and honest in a wise way, but about what we struggle with and about what some of our shadows are. Because Alan Parr says this, this is wonderful. He says, when we get saved, God shows us the sins that look like stones. But when we get sanctified, God shows us the sins that look like sand. 
we were at the North Coast um, at the first week of July um, and we decided to pick like the worst night to go for a walk on the beach because it was like something out of a movie when the wind was whipping the sand like right down <laughs> the beach towards us and we were acting as breakers for the kids behind us and when we got home the sand was literally everywhere in ears in hair in pockets <laughs> I don't know how I could have the pockets, in shoes, in between toes, everywhere. Sand has a way of doing that. And one of my boys was reminding me, do you know, mommy, sand is just stone ground up by the sea. And I think that's really relevant here. Sand is stone more easily disguised. In the context of this particular quote, I feel a real conviction in my spirit that we press forward um, to allow God to do what he wants to in us and through us as we occupy this new space. But we've got to get real because sand gets everywhere. And it's maybe not always easy to see, but it can be there if we don't allow the Lord to keep bringing it to the surface. Now, like I say, we've got to be wise about that. We don't need to tell the whole church what we're struggling with, okay? You tell trusted people and people who can speak into your life in a way that it's going to help you. But we've got to get real about our weaknesses because when we don't, we're just playing. We're just playing. First John 1 John 1.9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. That's what happens at the altar and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what happens at the lever. And I believe now more than ever, the world needs to see the churches of people who hold themselves to the same amount of accountability that they expect from the world around them. That's when we just get a bit hypocritical, isn't it? We've got to be that people. We've got to be the people who allow the Spirit in. So you're like, right, well, this is great, but how do we get cleansed? Okay, well, here we go. We get cleansed by washing ourselves in the word, all right? In John 17, 17, Jesus prays. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Isn't it interesting that the word of God can be referred to actually as a mirror when we think of what um, the, the altar is, or the labor is made out of? It's a mirror, and when we give ourselves time and we make it a discipline in our lives to actually meditate and let the word into us and not just over us, it changes who we are. So that's one of the ways that we can be cleansed. Another way that we can be cleansed is when we pursue God above everything else and allow the Holy Spirit access to every recess of our heart. Now, you I'm sure a lot of you know about David, but Psalm 51 was written out of a really bleak time in his life, okay? He had just been called out by the prophet Nathan um, on his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, but actually more than that, on sending her husband to the front line to be killed so that he could cover up a sin. And he'd been called out um, that had just been exposed, okay? And David knew that he needed cleansing. And this is what he says. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David knew, he was, he was able to be real. He was able to allow the Holy Spirit in there, but he knew that he needed renewed it. He knew that he needed cleansed and he knew that God was the only one he could bring him life again. And the third way that we can get cleansed is when we take responsibility for our stuff, <laughs> when we own our sin in our lives. Again, he says earlier on in Psalm 51, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, 
I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, we become transformed by the renewing of our minds and that is cleansing too. And Jesus actually lives out a visual representation of the labor during his time on earth when he washes the feet of his disciples at the Last Supper. When they'd finished eating supper, you know this, God himself, doesn't this blow your mind? The God who spoke the whole of creation into being got on his knees and washed the feet of those that he came to redeem. It's beautiful. He was living out the role of the laver, and in doing so, he tangibly taught the disciples how necessary cleansing through him was. And that was essential before they could serve. That was essential before he could commission them to do the work of building the church. Jesus was showing them that he was the only one who could do it. But why? Well, I think the whole point of Jesus being the living laver is so that we could become this. Right, 1 Peter 2.9 says, so that we could become a chosen race, that we could become the royal priesthood, like those who served in the tabernacle, that we could become a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we could proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Because church, if we truly believe that we are the royal priesthood, and we should, because that's what God wants for us. It's up to us to press further into what God is doing. And it's really interesting that Moses got all of the instructions about the tabernacle. He got to see the whole thing being set up, but then he handed it over to the priests to get on with the work. And Jesus did the same for the church. He demonstrated the pattern. He commissioned the disciples. He made provision for us by sending the Holy Spirit. And now he is saying that we are a royal priesthood too that we get to fulfill the desire of the Father, that we get to, as his children, be tabernacles and live in tents. And if you still need convincing, I'm going to finish with this verse, right? In Hebrews 2, 11, it says, for the one, that's Jesus, who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us when we let him, are of the same family. Isn't that beautiful? We are of the same family as Jesus. And it goes on to say that he is not ashamed to call us brothers, and I'm adding in sisters there too. He's not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. And so this morning, as we just close this all off, I think there are some people in here who need to know that, okay? We, we're not living in a place of shame, all right? We're not going to keep going back to those things that um, keep coming up in our lives that the enemy keeps using to hold us back. Well, you could never do this because do you remember you did that? God wouldn't use you because do you remember this happened? That's not what this is, okay? We've got to just, we're just going to be real about the stuff that keeps coming up in our lives. But here's what's true. See, when you do that, Jesus isn't ashamed to call you a brother or a sister, you get to be part of his family. And I think I have a hunch this morning that there are some people in here who maybe could do with a little bit of prayer around actually just accepting the fact that God has cleansed you and that he wants to do something with your life. But there might even be someone in here this morning who's thinking, actually, I don't know about any of this. I've never really thought about it before, but I recognize that I need God in my life. And I recognize that I need to talk to somebody about that. We would love to talk to you about that. We, that's why we're here. We would love to talk to you about that. But I want you to know this morning, there's no judgment, all right? 
when we do this at the end and when we offer prayer ministry at the end, the church isn't looking at you. They're worried about it. Everybody goes and gets their kids. That's what happens. And then it just turns into carnage, especially with mine. <laughs> there's no judgment. So we would love you to know that I think there's freedom here for some people this morning around this area. And we would love you to come forward if you feel like you would like some support with that. So let me pray for you guys. Oh, Jesus, we just, we worship you this morning. We thank you that you are our sacrifice and that you are our cleansing. And we recognize, God, this morning that none of us have arrived. None of us have made it. Every single one of us in this space this morning needs your cleansing on an ongoing basis. And we humble ourselves before you this morning as we admit that, God. But we know that your spirit wants to move in hearts. And so we invite you to come. And as you have been stirring and as you have been speaking, God, I pray for courage this morning for those who feel like they need breakthrough in this area. We pray for grace this morning, God, and we just pray for peace this morning as people respond and come forward. And so we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to be about your business. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to be able to be here and worship you and be about the business of your kingdom. <clears throat> I, I have a wee picture just before I finish off. I hope it's okay to share this, but I have a picture of, um, <clears throat> of someone who, who just feels like their heart's really dirty and you feel like... Um, there's just something that, that you keep struggling with and that it just keeps coming up. And no matter what you've tried to do in your own strength, you cannot break the hold of it in your life. And I believe this morning that actually Jesus wants to let you know that he wants to cleanse that from the inside right out of you this morning. And so Jesus, we pray in your name that you would do that. That your blood would be enough here this morning to break off every sin that so easily entangles, every sin that holds us back from um, stepping into all that you have for each one of us, God. Every sin that actually traps hearts from getting bigger, God. And we pray that your spirit would bring freedom this morning. We pray that your spirit would bring freedom in Jesus' name. Amen.